Reimagining Time is a podcast that shares the stories and ideas of educators who are changing the way they use time to meet student needs. And I'm like, and, I, and in my mind, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which ones am I going to pick? And why are all these kids not seen as having strengths, gifts, talents that we should nurture? That was Brian Butler, an education consultant, author, and former principal. And his view of students is rooted in seeing their strengths first, right when they walk in the door. In this episode, we'll talk about the idea of giftedness in education and how rethinking this idea can help students thrive. For Brian, it started with his own personal experiences as a child. And so, you know, I, I was um, early on and um, I really had a hard time learning how to read. But um, I was fortunate. I was fortunate to be born, quote, in the right family. My dad was a reading teacher. And so I had a safety net and interventionist at home who really um, said that, you know, you're going to achieve. We're going to have high expectations of you. And you're going to be as gifted as anybody else. Despite having some learning struggles, specifically in reading, what made a difference for Brian started right at home. His parents had confidence in him. And this translated to how he felt about himself. Um, and that belief and expectations of me um, really gave me the confidence to eventually catch on. My dad and my, my mom gave me a lot of experiences at home. Brian shares that both of his parents were teachers, and they were there to not just support him, but to open up experiences and opportunities like traveling. But his struggle with reading fluently and phonics, despite having great comprehension, led to negative labeling at school. But back then, they were like, if you can't call words, if you can't read fluently, then you can't read. And a teacher was left in isolation. So this teacher said, okay, he's struggling to learn how to, to read. Let's retain him. And my parents were like, no, he can comprehend. He can read. It's just he's going to take a little bit more you know, time and support. Retaining would mean holding Brian back from the rest of his peers because he struggled with certain aspects of reading. This would likely mean repeating a grade level again because of a struggle in one learning area. He wasn't unintelligent or a bad learner, he just needed some more support. Thankfully, his parents were involved in his life and were advocates of his learning. And he did well, later becoming a principal where he saw ranking and sorting firsthand. Um, you know, fast forward uh, a number of years to the point where I became uh, a principal in my first job. And one of the things that I realized my district um, the district that I was in at the time, they were separating kids. Um, they were separating kids um, based on a test score or based on a portfolio that their parents could help them put together um, and label them as gifted. Keep in mind that at this time, Brian was a principal at an elementary school. So at the early elementary level, kids were under pressure to perform on a test or to have a portfolio that their parents could essentially do for them to identify them as gifted. But more on that later. That that was kind of an eye opener. Um, but more of an eye opener for me was okay. They were saying okay, we're going to separate these kids and put them in a quote gifted center, or what they called an advanced academic center. But one of the things that they said is uh, we we are um, underrepresented with certain groups in these gifted centers, and so let's actually create a category for these students so we can you know pick some of those kids. So they can attend the gifted center. And I'm like, and I, in my mind, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
which ones am I going to pick? And why are all these kids not seen as having strengths, gifts, talents that we should nurture? the unfairness of it all, picking certain groups of kids to fill out a quota in these centers. But how did Brian handle it? And so um, the, the county said we had to identify, you know, a certain uh, amount of, quote, minority students, black students, Latino students, students from poverty. And I said, no, we're going to create in our school a system the, the ability for all of our teachers to treat every single child as, as if they were gifted. Brian was done with the sorting and selecting. This is where the view of what makes a student gifted starts to shift. So at his school, they went to work. And it really was work. He didn't introduce this idea to teachers and staff as just a quote to hang on the wall. All students are gifted. It started with their mindset and how they worked as a group. And so I, we started to do some research. We started to look at Carol Dweck's work on mindset, the growth mindset. We started to look at Eric Jensen's work. Um, and we said that, you know, we, we need to push this narrative or this myth that only certain kids have gifts. Note the first step they took, research. What does it really mean to be gifted? All kids have gifts. We just have to help them find their strengths and their, their talents and then nurture those, those gifts. And what about those gifted centers that were reserved only for certain kids? At the time, I, I truly was frustrated and I wanted to push to closing those centers. But after time, I'm like, you, you have at it. If, if you want to hold on to these centers, if parents want to you know, have their kids anointed, fine. I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm going to worry about the, the kids in my school and our staff creating the conditions that allow students to benefit from some of the gifted practices that, quote, gifted centers give. And those practices are, are practices that anybody can do. It wasn't that the education that kids were getting at gifted centers was bad, but Brian wanted to make it accessible to all students. It really didn't need to be its own separate center. It also meant that when a student arrives at school, the starting point had to change. You know, when, when we talk about gifted education, one of the things that we start with are strengths. It sounds like, duh, but we, we start with identifying student strengths. But most of the time when kids struggle or have traditionally struggled, we go straight to what are they not good at? What do we need to remediate? And, and so we were going to make sure that we identified strengths, that we gave them the confidence that to, to be able to believe that they could achieve anything that we put in front of them. But we also had to give teachers the, the, the belief. Isn't it true that as humans, we often go straight to focusing on the negative? I've seen an example where someone holds up a white sheet of paper with a tiny black dot on it and asks, what do you see? In most cases, you notice the tiny black dot, even though there's nothing wrong with the rest of the sheet of paper. And that can happen with students right when they walk in the classroom door. What are their weaknesses? Why are they struggling? What's wrong with them? While it's good to be aware of where students need support and be there to help, how productive is it to have a deficit mindset? How does that affect the student and the whole school? So at Bryan's school, not only did they have to give students confidence, they had to help teachers change their own beliefs as well. And that's where the learning as a staff had to come in. And so we started to take classes as a staff and read books like Carol Dweck's Mindset and, and books um, from, from Eric Jensen and others, um, Carol Ann Tomlinson, on 
how the brain can change and how we can get smarter with effort and how um, this, this myth of the, uh, the, the bell curve, as Ken Williams says, the bell curse, um, how this myth of the bell curve is holding us back. Thinking about a bell curve, it shows data collected all around the mean in a data set. So when talking about student achievement, in the middle, you could have most kids scoring 85% on a test, and then a smaller distribution of students at both ends scoring higher and some scoring lower. Looking at a data set like this could make it easy to say, okay, these kids on the low end of the curve are our low kids, these kids who scored like 95% are the high kids, and then we have our medium kids. So now we know who the smart ones are and the ones who aren't, right? I mean, we don't have, you know, low kids, medium kids, high kids. We have kids that come to us that are more advanced at times because they've had more experience, experiences before they come to school, but they're no more smarter than the, the, the next kid who hasn't had those experiences. They just have more opportunities. So instead of being a ranking of intelligence, Brian explains how many of the ways students are measured are actually based on opportunities. How does he define giftedness? My, my idea of giftedness is just really helping kids create the opportunities for kids to find their passion, their strengths, and then for us to nurture their strengths. And those strengths then become gifts when they start to become passionate. Kids aren't gifted in everything. Nobody is. Um, we have certain certain you know things that we we're passionate about and that they become gifts. What is a gift? A gift is something that we give to somebody. Shouldn't every kid have something special about them that they give to somebody? Now, Brian works with groups of educators in professional development. And the first thing he asks is, Do you think it's our moral obligation to treat other people's children the same way we would treat our own children? Meaning, should we have the same expectations of the kids who are coming into our schools, into our buildings, as we would have for our own kid or, or a kid who's a loved one? It could be a grandkid, a niece or nephew, or just a, another kid that's a loved one of ours. And actually, I've never had anybody say, no, I don't have the same expectations of Brian Butler as I would have my own kid. And so that's a great start because when I start that way, I say, okay, now that you say that, now that that's your core belief, we should be willing to examine every traditional practice, policy, program, procedure, literature, research through that lens. And if it's not aligned to treating other kids the way I would treat my own kids, then we need to change those practices, policies, programs, and procedures um, in order for us to align our actions with our belief. Brian mentions that there really is a lot to learn from gifted education. He mentions that a lot of his work he models off of educator and author Yvette Jackson. One of the things that she starts off with is gifted education, and she was the director of gifted education for New York City. And what she said is, the thing that starts um, gifted educations or educators' belief um, in the capacity of students is their expectations and beliefs. It starts with ex expectations and beliefs, beliefs, but it also starts with their belief in their capacity to help students. 
So shouldn't we have a belief in our own capacity to help all students achieve high intellectual performance? And so that's kind of my that background of why I'm so passionate about it. it starts with me because I, you know, I, I quote, it should not take a kid being born in the right family for them to be able to have, as Mike Mattos would say, a life filled with endless opportunities and possibilities. So again, this idea of giftedness starts with what teachers believe students can accomplish, what students believe they can accomplish, and then even what teachers believe they are able to help students do. And one of the things that can really put a damper on your belief in your capacity to grow is a label. My thing is, when I, if I have kids coming into a school and we're separating them, and, and Ken Williams says this beautifully in his book, gifted and ungifted. Who wants to be ungifted? Like you wouldn't call them ungifted, but that's what we're saying. Yeah, that's what we're telling them. Mm-hmm. They they know when a kid gets separated, and 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 they go to you know another class or they go to another school. What are you telling me? I'm left behind, right? When one student is given the label of gifted, it sets them on a pedestal. While this isn't intentionally to make other students feel bad, the assumption is logically made that if she's gifted, and I don't have that same label as she does, then I must not be gifted. I must not have anything to offer. Brian's experience has taught him something else, that sometimes that label actually goes beyond the kid, and it's a pretty enlightening perspective. Um, and, and the other thing, actually, about this um, this process, and again, it's not everywhere, but one of the things from my experience that I have found is that we are not labeling the kid gifted. We're labeling the parents because in my experience, Kids have to take a test, which for me is ridiculous from the the county that I came from. Kids take a test in first and second grade to be labeled gifted. So think about the kids whose parents have have the means. There was was, a situation where some of the parents were found to be buying the gifted test from a local store, prepping their first graders and second graders so they could get a score. Or they, they can do a portfolio at home and bring it in. And we would see some of these portfolios. And I'm like, there is no way this first grader or second grader did this portfolio. But you can't say that. But we're labeling the parents. So it's less about ability and more about opportunity. The parents have the means. And I'm going to say my kids, my own kids, both of, the, both of them have parents who are educators. And so they have an advantage. But the kid whose parents is a single parent or maybe working two or three jobs or you know, maybe um, just learning the language, they're just as smart, but they don't, might not have the advantages. Yeah, same opportunities. Yeah. It really is common sense to think about how so many students simply don't have the same opportunities other students do. And it has nothing to do with their intelligence or what they're capable of. How can you really know what you're capable of if you never get the chance to try it out? Think about from the ages of birth to five and think about two kids Think about, I'm going to use my daughters, my daughters who traveled before from the ages of birth to five, they were in, in, in a number of activities. We took them everywhere. We sat down at the dinner table. They learned a language. And think about all those opportunities as cups. So they come to school with a hundred cups and they have a chance to turn over those cups. And those cups are each opportunities, right? And so they turn over a cup and say, oh, that's an opportunity, but I don't, I'm not really interested in that. They turn it back over. They turn it over again. Oh, that's something I want to try. 
I, I like it a little bit. They turn it over again. They find their passion. But they have a hundred opportunities of, or, or even more to find their cup, their passion, their gift. Then we have the kid who's been born in poverty, who from the birth, from the ages of birth to five stays in the house, doesn't have preschool, doesn't have a lot of the opportunities that my kids have. They have four cups to turn over. They turn over all four and they're not interested in any of them. And then they come to school and they label my children gifted and they label these kids slow. It's not, it's not true. It's an opportunity gap. Yes. They haven't had the opportunities to experience the things that my kids to find their strength, to nurture their gifts and passions. And so I, I, I just say we have to have some common sense about this. Again, my kids may have come to school, school more advanced and we want to challenge my kids appropriately. But we also want to give those students an opportunity to make sure that they are able to have the life that my kids have. Certainly, all students can be viewed as gifted and can have something to share with those around them. In our next episode, we'll talk about how schools can make these shifts to viewing all students as gifted, as Brian outlines five practical steps they can take, as well as how schools can examine their own thoughts and also even things like their schedule to change their view of students. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reimagining Time, and we especially want to thank the educators who have shared their time and hard work with us. This podcast is produced by Enriching Students, a software tool that's designed to help schools manage flex time. It's about time. Tune in for a new episode of Reimagining Time every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more.